0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. It was just last week we put out a podcast where I warned you and all our listeners that the subject we're talking about was a developing story. And to check in at scmp.com for more updates. We were talking about China's biggest right-hating app, Didi, and its record-breaking IPO on Wall Street, and what seemed, at the time, to be a cascading series of events involving the cyberspace administration of China. And then Sunday happened. And the situation, as we say on the internet, escalated quickly.
1: ...by the
2: Cyberspace Administration of China, CAC... ...were put on notice by the Cyberspace Administration of China...
0: ...the China Cyberspace Administration...
2: ...officials say they shall be re-subject to cybersecurity review when listing abroad...
0: ...who or what exactly is the Cyberspace Administration of China? They're China's internet regulator, responsible for industry oversight, regulation... ...and censorship. They've even got their own themes on... many thanks to the people from ProPublica.com for posting this on YouTube back in 2015. It's a big showbiz number on stage. There's a choir, some celebrity singers, and this is the bit where they sing, just like a beam of integrity that moves your heart, unifying the strength of all living things. Last weekend, that beam of integrity turned up the intensity to target every Chinese tech company with more than one million users wanting to list on foreign stock exchanges. But it's not just Chinese companies hoping to raise money on Wall Street who's facing the new regulation. On Monday, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism issued a document which said it wanted to strengthen the regulation of the source of online performance content. And what does that mean? In the U.S. and elsewhere in the West, online influencers, or KLLs, are all about TikTok and Instagram, but in mainland China, influencers are all about live streaming. And they've created an industry that's worth an estimated $1 U.S. trillion a year. And they're also being targeted for attention. Hello, and welcome once again to the Inside China podcast. I'm Sime with the tech desk here at the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And let me tell you, it's been a wild ride for the past seven days as we follow the changes being announced from Beijing. Today, we're going to start on Wall Street and make our way back to mainland China with help once again from my colleagues Zhou Xin and Tracy Chu. Back in December last year, we saw the U.S. Congress pass a law authorizing the delisting of Chinese companies from U.S. stock exchanges if they fail to meet U.S. standards of auditing and accounting practices. Here we are eight months later, and Beijing has just introduced rules enforcing a data security review on any Chinese company with more than one million users wanting to list in the U.S. If you speak Mandarin Chinese, the phrase could be «左右为难» or «进退两难». If you're an English speaker, you will know the phrase, between a rock and a hard place. Jocelyn, help us recap what happened over the weekend. There's a new set of rules announced. What do we know now?
2: Okay, thank you, Xingmei. Yes, on Saturday, this is uh, really the big news. When I first saw it, it's really, uh, I mean, shocking, because everyone uh, sees clearly that uh, the key is a clause, newly added uh, rules that every tech company going to make a foreign IPO has to apply for a cybersecurity review at uh, this uh, office, as long as it it has more than 1 million uh, users' personal data. And this is a very, very uh, low stress hold. So basically, in a market of 1.4 billion people, if an app, you know, have less than 1 million users, it has no commercial value. So basically, Beijing is saying for every IPO that is going to New York or London, I have to go through it. So this is a big, something that at the beginning, you know, the first, first impression is almost like this is a, oh, this is a historical moment, you know, historical moment. 100 years later, you know, maybe people look back, you know, from when China and the US officially have this technology decou- decoupling, and this could be one of the moment. But again, uh, you know, to take a take a step back, we can see that it's actually the, the CAC, the Chinese uh, Cyberspace Administration is already starting to review into DD. So is, is this, this is more of like getting the bus first and <laughs> then buy the ticket. And also, uh, as I uh, wrote in my column, I think it is too early to, to conclude that this uh, IPO flow Bitching across the Pacific, you know, from China to the United States they will be cut off permanently. will be, you know, starting from this new regulation, there will be no more IPOs. I think at the moment, yes, of course, everyone is on, uh, every deal is put on ice. Uh, no one is going ahead. But this is, a, this is supposed to be a temporary uh, suspension because it's a, it's a very big, uh, also very important change to the whole IPO regime uh, by the Chinese government. Th- this kind of IPO procedure has been a proven pass for the investment bankers, for lawyers, for the last uh, twenty-five or even longer years, you know. So, if a Chinese tech company wants to make an IPO in the uh, in the United States, there are loads of people to to willing to offer help. You know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. They're they they're, they're profiting from this, and there are also law firms, they're accountants. But now the, it seems that there will be more uh, one more powerful uh, regulator, which is uh, which is not familiar. For most of the investment bankers and lawyers, but they have to get to know. (laughs) And uh, this office within the Chinese uh, uh, Cyber Space Administration is obscure, as often said, because it has no independent website, no uh, so far didn't find any uh, uh, external telephone numbers. But yes, in publishing the proposed new regulations, they leave some uh, email address and uh, uh, phone numbers. <laughs> so at least, you know, they just have some uh, certain kind of external uh, contacts. At the same time, we, we, sh- we should see that this office, although it is within the CAC, it is not totally belong to CAC. It is actually backed by 12 Powerful Chinese ministries, including the Cyberspace uh, Administration of China. Uh, in other words, uh, there are eleven other ministries that I can stepping at any moment, including the Ministry of Public Security, including the Ministry of State Security. You know, so everyone, if, if, as long as they see any problem, say the Ministry of uh, the Ministry of Industry and Technology Information, if it sees a, a problem in IPO, it can. Uh, raise a hand and say, "Hana, I think this is a problem. So the whole IPO process can be uh, delayed or postponed or even even cancelled. So this is uh, this, of course, brings huge uncertainty to this uh, to this IPO f- flow. But at the moment, I think we should uh, wait to see all the dust to settle down. I, I mean, this is a new for everyone. This is a new for Beijing as well. So." So let, let's wait and see. Uh, but I guess the whole process will take like a few months uh, at least to, to to settle down.
0: Let's circle back for a little bit. We know that DD's IPO got a huge hype. But do we know of any other IPO plans that got canceled because of this?
2: Well, I think uh, at the beginning, we can start with these companies that has already issued their uh, prospectus. I mean, although they're, they're maybe not final date for the IPO, but at least, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of... Uh, you know, the gossips are already in the market that they're going to uh, sell their shares in New York, including uh, Shimalaya and including uh, Hello, Hello Bike. But more importantly, I, I, I think, Mei, uh, we should look uh, beyond uh, these uh, a few like small IPOs already in the pipeline. We should look beyond the headlines uh, and, uh, and, and the, uh, already the deals on the table. More importantly, this will affect, you know, the confidence of the international capital in the Chinese tech sector. So for the last 20 or 30 years, the marriage of uh, money from the United States, you know, whether it's from PE in, uh, based in California or with the investment bank from the Wall Street and then the technology companies in Beijing or in Shanghai, this is a, this is a, I mean, this is a fascinating story. When the Chinese uh, uh, entrepreneurship combined with these, uh, this powerful, efficient capitalist machine, you know, imported from Wall Street, then we can, we we witnessed, you know, so much wealth has been created. But now with this uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty, there's a question to be asked, you know, if I put money into, uh, say, a very promising Chinese company based in Beijing these days, are there, uh, you know, enough chances for me to cash out? Or, you know, will the IPO, the road to IPO be as smooth as before? Because previously, you know, uh, as I just explained, you know, it's a it's a it's a well-traveled path. Everyone has goes through it, and you know where to uh, get the uh, paperwork. You know where to find the find the paperwork, where to get the permission. So it's it's very rare that any uh, company that with commercial values will be vetoed by anyone in Beijing saying no, stop. You know, you you do not go there to raise money. So under this regime, there will be uh, some uh, new uncertainties. So this will going to affect, the, I mean, not a few companies that is already in the, in the, in the final leg for the, for the IPO. It's about like a, a, a huge base of startups in uh, Beijing and in Shanghai, you know, these ambitious young Chinese entrepreneurs. You know, the future for them will be a little bit more difficult okay, and this uh, new regulation. And they may not be as lucky as Jack Ma or uh, Pony Ma or even, you know, as uh, uh, Wang Xing or as, uh, as, as Zhang Yiming. I mean, the TikTok, the ByteDance has already received a uh, uh, lot of money from these big, uh, big name uh, private equity and venture capitalists. But for other follow-ups, uh, for other followers, smaller players, uh, the it may be more, uh, was, they have to spend more time and efforts to persuade their investors, you know, why they can overcome this regulatory uh, uh, hurdle and they can still make money and even go to the capital market to allow them to cash out.
0: So, Jocin, who do you think is happy about this? The hawks in Beijing or the hawks in Washington?
2: I think no one should be happy about this. <laughs> this is not a very uh, good thing. But for those people who care, uh, who has been worrying about uh, data security in China, and of course uh, this new rule has uh, helped to fix uh, one of these uh, loopholes, and they should be uh, satisfied with their uh, job because there are no more like data leakage or at least like smaller. Data leakage uh, risks, and for those who are, who already argue for a decoupling between China and United States, of course, this is a feed more excuses or more facts into their uh, rhetoric, and for them, they should be be happy. But for for the general public, for most of the people, I think it's not necessarily uh, a, a good thing. But anyway, you know what we can do. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's like the. We are seeing something that not everyone is going to see. But this is a, this more confrontation, more, more decoupling, more tension. And, uh, and it's inevitable for these kind of uh, sentiments to influence the technology and a capitalist world.
0: What about cybersecurity companies ah, very
2: very good point. I mean uh, with this new rule uh, before that, an IPO will require like CFO, the lawyer, the chief accountant. But now, possibly every tech company will require a technology or data security expert, a compliance officer, and for these people who study this and you know, certainly there will be more job opportunities and also for the regulator, of course, they have more um, responsibilities at the same time they have more power and then of course, yes, as you mentioned, these security uh, as data security firms third party service providers exactly like the like the like the accountants you know the third party uh, accountants auditing firms Maybe, you know, Chinese technology companies will create a huge market, a demand for these kind of services, you know, for professionals go through their uh, data security protocols and say, OK, now you can go to the uh, um, authority for a review. Or, you know, if without these kinds of approvals or, or certifications, it's even very difficult even to knock at the door of the regulator saying we are ready for a data security review.
0: In your column this week, you explained that this is a direct copy of American legislation. Could you explain that for us?
2: Well, I didn't say it's a direct copy of uh, uh, American <laughs> legislation. I say one clause is a directly copy from, from it. That's the one million benchmark. Yes, because the, the new CFIS law, the, the, the U.S. Uh, committee Reviewing Foreign Investment Deals, they kept the stress hold very, very low. For instance, if uh, any any deal that involves uh, data of more than one million uh, U.S. consumers, uh, U.S. citizen uh, information, personal information, then this is subject to Washington Review. So China apparently has borrowed this uh, into its new regulation. And broadly speaking, Xinmei, this kind of data security uh, enhancement from Beijing is a response to what Washington is doing. Just, you know, just put, put your own foot into Beijing's shoes. And then from Beijing, you can see like, okay, Washington is doing all kinds of things t- to restrict the the, the data. TikTok was uh, very successful in the United States, and then Trump, of course, uh, tried to ban the use of uh, TikTok in the United States. One can say is uh, national security because it collects way too much personal information uh, about U.S. consumers, and in China we have the same cons- similar concerns, Say, Hanan, if you can do this, why can I not? Uh, for ca- for a company like DD, it has uh, nearly 400 million uh, users. It knows every street in every Chinese uh, Chinese city. Uh, sometimes it knows the pattern of the Chinese uh, office life. It knows how many people are gathering in this building, how many people are going to uh, you know overwork at to uh, uh, 2- 2- eleven, how many people are going to uh, going to that restaurant. It's it's all very critical uh, and uh, uh, important information that matters to national security. So there's, there's a very legitimate and good reason for Beijing to do something. And it has been, been going on, the process of preparing for this data security regime. Y- you can see from even public reports, it's been going on for years. And only the, the, the case of DD just you know, uh, ring the alarm and uh, moved everything a little bit forward.
0: Joxin, what are you hearing now from your contact in the in- industry?
2: Oh, very little. I think for, at, this, at this stage, everyone is waiting for the, uh, for the framework to be in place. As I said, you know, the Saturday regulation is a proposal. So it is still in the stage of soliciting public feedbacks. So uh, at the end of uh, this month, it will be taken back for a review. And very likely, I think it will become official regulation in a couple of months of time. And then uh, there are lots of uh, uh, specific questions to be answered. Lots of uh, uh, technical and procedural stuff has to be sorted out. For instance, you know, where the tech companies, if they want have, uh, if they request uh, a data security review, uh, where should they go? And what kind of documents they should prepare uh, and how long? Um, well, so the regulation provides a little bit how long, but uh, but you know how to specify or distinguish between normal cases or uh, 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 special cases. So all these kind of questions are, uh, are closely watched, of course, by uh, not only tech firms but also uh, lawyers and uh, analysts.
0: We'll be watching very closely. Thanks for your time, Josine.
2: Thank you, Shima. As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com slash newsletters.
0: Tracy, can I get you to remind people about the sides
1: of the live streaming industry in China? Yes, it is huge. So basically, we have live streaming services on nearly all the social media platforms in China you have heard of. Like you can say... Douyin, and Lot. Actually, like this week, we just have a report coming out. The report says that the live streaming industry in China is reaching 150 billion yuan in market value in 2020, which is 23 billion US dollars. That's huge. Yeah, and the industry is growing so fast that it is up by 42% compared with a year earlier. So one big difference between
0: influencers on Instagram or TikTok
1: with China's
0: influencers is that um, in China, the audience can actually send money and gifts to these live streamers. Is that the only big difference though?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest difference is that uh, in China, there are actually agencies. So they hire uh, live streamers or just random girls. They came across on the street and they say, They think that you have great potential, so they sign a contract with you and teach you how to perform well on camera. Uh, These kind of organizations, they are responsible for the production and marketing for online performance. This agency also in China, in general, we are calling it by multinational network, which is MCNs in China, and they have been growing so big in China. And I think like the individual live streamers has become less and less. Like if you are big enough, then you will definitely sign an agent to do that. So Tracy, take us
0: through what happened on Monday with the new rules for these influencers.
1: Yeah, basically this kind of online performance agencies, now they need to collaborate with the culture and tourism department for supervision. They need to provide records for... Um, their agent activities, and also in China, like this kind of agencies, one of the tips they will do is that they are paying for the live streaming gift by themselves in order to induce others to pay more for the live streamers. And this kind of behavior are uh, not allowed anymore according to the draft regulation. So Tracy,
0: let me get this straight. So say if I'm live streaming and you're my agent, uh, before this, you could... Just buy me virtual gifts or send me money, send me tips during my live stream. But now that's been outrolled.
1: Is that right? Yeah, basically, uh, it's very common for those agents to uh, pay in for the virtual gifts for, uh, like for example, a new live streamer. So no one is actually watching her show. But as an agent, I can pretend to be the audience and I can enter the room um, paying for a flower for you. And when this real user entering, it looks like you are very popular. So maybe he will buy you a flower too. That's the trick there using and what are some of the other changes yeah I think there's also another rule about ages because the industry is growing bigger and bigger and also younger and younger so um, for people under 16 the online performance agencies are not able to provide services for them and if you are aged between 16 and 18 the agent need to verify the person's identity and also obtain a written approval from their parents so
0: basically Basically if I'm aged between 16 and 18 that means I'll need a note from my mom. Yes. Tracy, I guess what's also interesting is that what's behind this is not the cyberspace administration of China which is responsible for overseeing all things internet. Who what, who is behind this?
1: Yeah, it's the Ministry of Culture and Tourism. But actually it, it but actually it But actually, it has been going on for a while. Uh, Like two years ago, the ministry already said that the special attention need to pay to electronic music and rap shows. And just earlier this year, they also named Bilibili and Douyu for their live streaming problems. So yeah, the story is going on. So
0: Tracy, is this a surprise? I mean, this can't be the first ever set of rules on live streaming. What are some of the other rules?
1: Yeah, basically, I think the regulators has been putting their attention to the live streaming industry for a long time. In short, it's no smoking, no tattoos, no bikinis. Like, you cannot look so sexy on this live streaming rules. Otherwise, your show will be shut down. Basically, all China's social media company, they employ thousands of people to censor the content. Like, they also have algorithm to help them to do that. But also, like, because there are also content that you need to uh, verify manually. So all of them, they, um, they need to hire thousands of people to meet the country's internet regulations to clean up the content.
0: Uh, so what are you seeing on Chinese social media as a response? Are people upset or are they happy with this? Actually,
1: I think it's quite quiet uh, compared with other rules because I feel like people are getting used to this kind of regulation things. But like most of comments, they're quite supportive because they also think that this uh, live streaming industry needs to be regulated. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you, Xinmei. That's
0: all for this week's episode of Inside China. But before you go, let me remind you of two things. Just like I said last week at the start of this podcast, don't forget if anything changes between me saying these words into the microphone and you hearing them, you'll read it first at scmp.com. And if you haven't already heard, last week's episode with tech editor John Artman about DD and the battle between China and the U.S. over data sovereignty it's worth your time. You can follow the work from the SCMP Tech team on Twitter at SCMP Tech. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next week. I'm Simation. Bye for now.